welcome to 70 plus where we get to know people over 70 with interesting life stories today we have 81 year old frank frank is my father's friend's father that's a mouthful <laughs> welcome frank welcome thank you <laughs> okay do you want to jump right into it i'm ready whenever you are okay so where did you grow up born and raised in missoula montana okay do you want to tell me a little bit more about that i have a twin brother we were born obviously in missoula the first twins there in years august 1st 1939 so that'll confirm my age is 81 now the thing I can tell you about Missoula as a small town growing up, it was totally different than obviously living here in Seattle. It was a small town and most people got a chance to know one another. Uh, as a child, I remember growing up there, so many of our activities were all about outdoors, fishing, you know, camping with family, doing things that today you don't spend a lot of time doing. Did you so you don't live in a super small town right now? No, we're living in Bellevue, Washington, and uh, right six blocks from the center of downtown Bellevue, which is, as you probably are aware, and is the headquarters for Microsoft and all of the major companies. So yeah, it's kind of a rat race here. And uh, so, how would you compare a small town versus a big town? Do you have a well? Reference? Growing up, growing up in Missoula. Um, I think back on when we were young and the kinds of things that we did, how simple life was, how easy it was for us to be entertained because back then didn't have TVs, didn't have computers, and it was baseball, basketball, going out and doing things that were inexpensive but we're very entertaining. So that was the very beginning. And obviously today, you know, it's a whole different world. And honestly, I really kind of like going back to the simplicity. So tell me a little bit more about your childhood, your parents, how was your relationship with your parents? My relationship with my parents was very different. My father, and mother came from Spokane to Missoula to open up a shoe store when we were very young. And I remember at seven or eight years old actually working in the shoe store. And that kind of was my introduction to the people business. Working in the shoe store, doing all the things that were required to keep the store clean, wash the windows, shift the stock around, clean up back then. And they had I can remember so clearly we used to have ashtrays all over that you don't see anymore but growing up that's when i realized that you know i really at a age communicating with people and listening to their experiences and of course life like i said was quite simple and and i remember in my youth that my father and mother, since they both work, they had expectations of us doing things in the home that, uh, and it was pretty much expected that if we didn't do it, we were very, very disciplined. Honesty, um, yeah, we paid a price for not cooperating and, and meeting my parents' expectations. My mother was not like that, but was my father was like that. We also grew up in an environment, 
I had a twin brother and a younger brother, Jim. So the three of us took turns doing things around the house and uh, we divided up that responsibility. I will say this, and I think this is an experience that maybe many of the seniors that you talk to will say to you, that when you're young, everything seems far in the distance and everything seems so big until you get older. And then when you're you realize, oh my God, how fast time flies and how tiny things were that we just saw as being big when you're little. So I think that was a very interesting observation that didn't realize until later in life. Interesting. Do you have an example of that? Maybe something that back then you thought was... Yes, I do, my dear. Yes, I do. It's funny that you mentioned it because we went back to Missoula for most of my high school reunions. And by going back, we would often go back to the house that we were born and raised in. And ironically, like two weeks ago, I just happened to be pulling up on the screen a picture of the house and saw that it was for sale. And I thought, oh my gosh, a few years ago, we had met the individual who bought the house. And oh, I remembered growing up in that house, every room, every nook, every cranny of that place. And, and then when I saw it listed for, I wanna say, what was it, 400, 400 and some thousand. I remember, I'm sure my folks probably paid 20,000 when they bought it originally. So obviously inflation was there. But more importantly, when we looked at the house, Evidently, it had been updated and we didn't recognize because it was, you know, updated with a lot of the things that we were used to weren't the same anymore. It's like, what did they do to this place? So, yes, that was, how did the three of us, three kids and my parents live in that little house? And uh, it was pretty amazing. But back then you didn't see a problem with the size or anything? No I, 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 no, I didn't, as a matter of fact. Like I said, when you're little, everything seems big. And that I found pretty interesting because years later, when you go back and you look at that and you think to yourself, I'm so used to living in a much larger complex that it looks tiny when you go back to it. But back then, you just assumed that that's the way it was. So yeah, to answer that question, yeah, it, it definitely seemed like it had changed. Your childhood home had been completely redone. How did you feel about yeah. that? Yeah. You know, my mother, may she rest in peace, used to always say, I love progress. And you know, I'm totally fine with that. I mean, we moved on and life is, you know, been past that. And I look back and think to myself, well, I remember so many experiences, some memories from that home that are really, really interesting. I, we were the only Jews in the zoo at the time growing up. So I didn't, I never learned what the word discrimination meant. We had everybody and To me, it was, it was really interesting um, how when we, think back about some of those experiences. My father's mother was from Spokane, very little lady. I think she was like five nine, but she was from the old country. I mean four nine, what am I saying? Five nine, four nine. <laughs> and she was four nine. And when I look back, 
I remember an experience. I, I, I remember an experience that we had that I will never forget to this day. Growing up in a small town, we always celebrated all the all the holidays, and Christmas in particular was celebrated because all of our friends were not Jewish. And my grandmother came over, just happened to be from Spokane on the train for Christmas to visit. My father went to the train station, picked her up, brought her to the house. She walked into the house and she saw the Christmas tree. She literally grabbed a hold of the tree with her hands, pulled it to the front door and threw it off the porch. <laughs> yes, and my father went ballistic. He absolutely did not open her suitcases. <laughs> he drove her back to the train station, put her on the train, and sent her back to Spokane saying, this is our house, this is the way we live, and I, I'm sorry, you're out of here. And, and so I remember as a kid, those kinds of experiences, Anna, I could tell you a gazillion stories. When we were kids, we just got into every damn thing you can think of. For example, I tell these stories because they are so etched in my memory. But in the back of the house, we used to, we always, always trying to build something. I don't care if it was a fishing pond in the yard or a, or a little building in the backyard uh, to play in. And it turned out that we had built this this little house in the back. And my father and my parents never objected to us being creative and doing that type of thing, but we started raising rabbits. And I don't know if you know much about how they multiply. Trust me, they multiply. And we ended up with so many rabbits, you have no idea. And now we're using heat lamps to keep them warm in the wintertime. <laughs> and we have them in different hutches in this back shed and and we thought it was great until it got very very cold and in missoula it was nothing to go below zero and one day we went out there and i kid you not half of them were frozen stiff <laughs> and so we took these rabbits and and took it and we had a picket fence right across our, back, our backyard so we took them out of there and we and they were all frozen all along, like a shooting ring right along the back fence. But my parents did not know this till they came home from work. And my father, I, I, we had the blinds closed in the kitchen. And when he opened the blinds, wondering why are they closed? And he saw all these <laughs> rabbits lined up. Hannah, you don't even want to know. I mean, like, what have you guys done? Well, it was just one of the hundreds of things, kiddo, that we did as a kid growing Even up. All these red rabbits frozen wasn't disturbing to you at all? <laughs> well, considering the fact that we, we survived on rabbit meat most of our life, uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that disturbing. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. Yet. No, well, you know what? I felt bad. I, I Honestly, I did not expect it. But it gets so cold there in Montana that Honestly, uh, we thought we recovered. We thought the heat lamps were enough, but obviously they were. <laughs> so, so yes, we got a lot of projects going there. Do you mind if we backtrack a little bit to Judaism again? What would you like? What would you like to know? We were the first. My twin brother and I 
actually were bar mitzvahed in Spokane. We didn't have a rabbi in, in Missoula, but there was one in Spokane where my folks were, were from. So we drove over there, we met the rabbi, and the rabbi actually recorded our bar mitzvah on a record. So we went back to Missoula and we learned all of our bar mitzvah speeches and all of the prayers, and then went back over to Spokane where we actually had our bar mitzvah. So yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting story. So did you face discrimination growing up for being Jewish? Not at all. Didn't know what it was. Absolutely did not. And that's why today I have a real problem with, with what's happening in our world. And I really, really have a problem with it. I mean, you know, I've always had an open mind. I've always been very accepting of everybody. I resent anybody, anybody being discriminated against for any reason, period. I just, I just have a real problem with that. So yeah, I'm very open about that. I'm very accepting of people. Absolutely. So when do you think you learned first about discrimination? Have you ever experienced it later in your life? Uh, I have, I mean, I, was, I, I have observed it, but not from anybody that I personally know. You know, obviously we, we see how it takes place. I, I didn't until honestly realize until Trump took over how, how bad things were. And, and when I, in the last few months, when you start going back in the history of, of, of the black folks, I couldn't believe how many years this has go, gone on, swept under the carpet, and nobody really paid that. They knew about it, but they never, I think, consciously accepted the fact that for years, how much discrimination has gone on and how much of a battle has existed. And I, I hope to God your generation, I, I, I really pray that in the next decade or two, we are absolutely moving to a blended society. There's no question, either accept it, you know, or you're, you're in trouble because, you know, I, I, I look back to people say, well, what do you think is, is the cause? Well, we know the cause is when you don't have money for education and you don't have money for food, clothing, shelters, and necessities, guess what? You know, that type of thing happens because you can only put your foot on somebody's neck too many times before they finally stand up and say enough is enough. So I know that's a whole different subject, but that's my personal thoughts on that. Yes, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about school for you growing up. Oh my gosh, Anna. Well, let me put it this way, my dear. I was a terrible student. I mean, when, maybe the only four points I got was, you know, one each quarter. I, I just was not a good student. I absolutely, and I think I told you yesterday, I, I think I mentioned that to you. I've never read a book in my life. And you said, what? Yeah, I, I, if, what my wife thinks I read what? Rachel thinks what? But what I did is because as a kid growing up, one thing I had more than anything else was total self-confidence. I absolutely from childhood was so confident that I never felt intimidated. 
about anybody, anything under any conditions. And I go back and reflect upon when I was asked to do a book report, all I had to do was read the inside cover. I don't know what they call that, you know, that covers the book. And then from that, I was able to extrapolate enough to be able to convince all the teachers that I'd read the book. Next, you know, next, like next. And, and actually, I, I felt that, you know what, everybody in life has certain gifts. And if you can take advantage of those particular gifts, then you should have a shot at succeeding. Smarter, not harder. <laughs> exactly. Well, the only classes that I ever seriously got A's in was speech, you know, because it was very easy for me to do. And um, a good example is that when you were growing up, I looked around and I thought so many of my friends, and you see it in school, you just know in advance, Anna, when you look at your graduation, high school graduation book, people don't change. And you have kids that you've gone to school with and you say, oh God, they're like total nerds or personalities or deadbeats or druggies or athletes. These people, 10, 15, 20, 50 years later, turn out to exactly what you expect. So I, sometimes I think those things are just embedded in the genes. And if you've got a, that kind of a gift, Hey, go for it. And so I, I'm a very strong believer in that. Yeah, if you, I didn't feel that being a lawyer, a doctor, accountant, all that was great, but I didn't have the intellect for that. But I could do something that a lot of people couldn't do. And over my lifetime, I have been told by so many people, like, oh my God, Frank, I would give anything to have the ability to sit down and talk to somebody, total strangers, and have them absolutely buy what you're talking about a thousand percent in about a minute and a half. And I've met some pretty, pretty successful people in my lifetime, and i like, what do they care about me? So I have stories about how having met some of these people, I've been able to help them because I could do something they couldn't do, and they really wanted to know how I was able to accomplish that. So life after high school given that your grades weren't exactly how, how yes. did that work out for you how was life after high school well i went to college i went to the university at, in missoula and i was there like maybe two years or so and uh, i i you know i was able to get passing grades but it just wasn't my thing and then lo and behold did you graduate no <laughs> you have to be smart sweetie to graduate no i didn't graduate. so my father thought that it would be nice for me to meet a nice jewish girl so i came over to seattle and my brother and i started meeting all of these young ladies over here and yeah my brother started a painting business here because that's where my grandmothers were so we came over the summer to, to do that and in the process of being here we were like the new kids on the block. So we started meeting one and then another and then another. And it's like, ended up meeting Rachel. And I and it is kind of interesting because her best friend, who still are good friends today, her best friend was Helene Jaffe. And she, I, I was sent over to her place to meet her. And I took one look and I thought, not exactly my type. So I said to her, <laughs> I said to her, by the way, Helene, you belong to this Jewish 
club high school group. I think the name of it was Dave Bonds, right? Yeah. And I said, do you have the picture of that class with all Jewish girls? And I said, so who's this? Well, that's my best friend, Rachel. I said, well, could you call her and tell her I'm coming over to meet her? It's like, what a jerk. So she calls her up. I go over, knocked on the door, said, hello, perhaps maybe you'd like to meet me. And she took one look at me. It's like, wait a minute. Who is this ass coming over to my place? I said, I'm out of here. So I said, who's the picture of that girl? So I left. Seriously, I didn't meet her for, what, five minutes? Not even that long. So fast forward, Anna, to the next year. The next year, back, and they're repeating their same performance. <laughs> so as it turns out, we're meeting different people. And it just so happened, my brother and I each had dates and kind of ended early. And I, this friend of mine, I heard that she was having a bunch of her friends over. And we were in Seattle. We ended our date with them. And I said, why don't we go back to Bellevue, this friend of mine, Tony, she's having this party. So drove over there. And that's when people were leaving. And we got there. I thought, well, I need to check out who's here. So walked in, true story. And I walked in and unbeknownst to me, Rachel was sitting behind a counter. And I walked in. No, at first I looked, I said, don't I know you from somewhere? (laughs) She's where she's just like you, Anna. I swear to God, she's wearing glasses just like you. And I said, would you do me a favor? And what's that? Would you take your glasses off? Anna, it's the same as you. You are absolutely beautiful and adorable. Thank you. And I said, wait a minute. And I took one look. <laughs> uh, something about this girl before I left, kid you not, I thought, holy crap. You're not the same one that I met a year ago. It's like, I can't <laughs> believe it. You're so. I, well, I'm trying to put the number on her. Neil, my twin brother, he's in the back bedroom, and there's a girl hiding back there. Her name's Terry. So he goes in and meets her, and she was smoking. Well, my brother and I have never smoked, don't like smoke, don't smoke, whatever. Anyway, make a long story short, her name was Terry, and it was Terry Moskowitz at the time. Turned out, Terry Foreman, because he met her and ended up marrying her, and I ended up marrying Rachel. So that I thought that was kind of an interesting. Yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting story, and it's only been what near coming up January eighth will be sixty years. So I think wow. I made a smart decision. Yeah, so <laughs> how long did it take you guys? So did you start dating after that night? Yeah. Well, actually, remember I lived in Missoula and she lived in Seattle, but we started corresponding. So it turned out that I went back to. To, uh, to Missoula, we started corresponding and her pictures and I couldn't get her off my mind. And finally, her brothers convinced her parents, because remember, we're talking old school. And it turned out that her older brother, Leo, suggested that it would be okay for her to get on a train now by herself overnight to go to Missoula to meet Frank's parents. So she came over and... Uh, that was a done deal. I took one look and said, you know what? You got to figure out. Now, mind you, I only had two years of college. Got to figure out what the heck I got to make this thing work. And that's when I could absolutely unequivocally say, I love this girl. This, this is Ms. Wright. And so then the question became, well, 
then what what you did you Frank I mean look <laughs> my father had a shoe store I was not enamored with that I don't have a college degree if I get married to this girl how the hell am I going to support her what am I going to do so lo and behold Neil's what well, turned out to be his father-in-law but Terry's father was in the insurance business and as a result of that he said well look why don't you guys come over here to Seattle, I'll give you a job, get yourself an insurance license and start selling insurance, I thought. But wait a minute, no, he says it's not all that difficult. You gotta pass a test and then you're good to go because obviously, you know, you don't have a problem talking to people. And I thought, God, what if, maybe that just might be a, a good opportunity. So we did that. And of course, moved to Seattle, got an insurance license, went out on the road. And in the first month, I remember, mind you, we're talking in 1960. I ended up making more money in a month than I could ever have dreamt possible. And Anna, I never looked back. And I thought to myself, you know what? The only thing that would be better than working by myself is hiring and training other people to, to do what I, I was doing. And I guess you know, Anna, the rest of the story. We've, not only have we had hundreds of people before me that I brought into the business, and, this, and it turns out today, fast forward to 2020, three sons that are all in the business, that own the business, and I retired about 15 years ago, and my three sons, between the three of we have, three grandsons that one of them is going to be meeting you very shortly because if he doesn't he's a idiot but that's neither here nor there all right sweetheart i, I don't know if i'm rattling off stuff that'll help you or not good. Giving you, so, the, you have three sons so how long did it take you to get married after you i don't know maybe six months Wow. Remember, I was 21, Rachel was 19, a year, it took a year. And then when I finally realized, Anna, that I could actually do well financially, that was what I needed to assure me that if I get married, at least I don't have to depend upon anybody to sort support me. And then unfortunately, just very unfortunately, at that time, my, my father became ill and passed away at 50 some years old. Oh, that's young. Yeah, and so I lost my father, and and it, yeah. But but what's interesting, Anna, and I'm just you know fortunately for your dad that he had his dad for so many years, but you know the truth of the matter is that when you lose a family member like that, you grow up pretty fast because obviously you have to accept responsibility, mm -hmm. and that's when we had our older son Robert, was just a year old, I think, wasn't he at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, started off running, you know, and haven't looked back. And so you raise your family and you hope that your family, you know, you, you hope you're a good role model for your family. And fortunately, we look back and feel totally blessed that we have three sons. Never, honestly, Anna, they're bright boys, all three of them, you know them. Honestly, never in my wildest dreams that I think kids would all end up in the business. So. They get along great. They're the best of friends. They respect one another. And so, yeah, what the third generation is going to do, I don't know. Tell me about them growing up. The boys? Mm-hmm. Your sons. I can't remember because 
seriously, I don't remember them growing up. And, and when I say that, I say that in all seriousness, Anna, because in the beginning, I we had to support, you know, those kids and, and I I lived on the road and we covered I covered eight to ten states. I used to get in the car and leave here, pack my suitcase, follow business in five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten states. And so I would be gone for two, three weeks at a time. So honestly, I missed so much that the boys' childhood and Rachel obviously was there to to raise them. And I go back and say that probably the greatest gift that I was given was for her to be such a positive influence on my three sons while they were growing up, while I was able to go out and support the family. And I look back today and I think to myself, oh my God, I've always said that if I could wish one thing on any young mother, and that is that they could invest the first three, four, five, six years with the child so that you will get the return on investment years later because that positive influence on that child will pay you back a million times over. And that's How did you feel at the time not being around for them growing up? It was difficult, but when I came back, you know, I'd be home for a week or two weeks, but you have to pack it up and leave again, you know? And it was, on the one hand, it created a better opportunity for have a nicer, back then, you realize that, boy, if you could accomplish a lot materially, a nice home, vacations, all the nice things, that was important. Fast forward today, Anna, the value of that is zero compared to your health. And when I look back over my life, I think to myself, you know, we are so fortunate, so blessed to have the best of all worlds because our sons have all turned out great. They're doing fine. We have, we, we look at our grandchildren and how well these little boys are doing, you know. And I think to myself, you know, you know, mark one on the wall. I think we're, we're very excited. I wouldn't do anything over again. And I have got this thing about people that are handed everything on a silver platter and have no appreciation for what it takes to get ahead, you know? No, I mean, I mean, it's not like I didn't see them and then we were separated. I mean, obviously I was home all the time with the kids when I was home. And then a lot of times, obviously we work from home. But when I say growing up, Rachel was there taking the boys to all the events. You know, I probably watched your dad, believe it or not, play softball more than I ever watched our own kids play softball. But um, yeah, we, uh, we had dachshunds, little dachshunds. So I went somewhere. I can't remember it. I was on the road and I came across a family that had these little dachshunds. So I said, hey, I'd like to buy one of those. And I did. And I brought it home and I put it in a little shoebox. <laughs> and I brought it home because the kids, every time, were anxious for us to come home. Were they selling the dogs or they just had Yeah, them? they were selling them. No, 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 they raised them and then they were selling them. So I bought one and brought it home. But I had a little shoebox, a baby, a little puppy, and brought it home to them. And, of course, they always like, what, are, what did you bring us from your trip? Well, this happened to me. And Rachel told the story. And they open it up and there's this little box in the, in the shoebox, you know. So, yeah, we... I mean, always, whenever I went in anywhere, you know, I was always thinking about the kids and talking mm -hmm. to them. But, you know, it was just assuring to me that I could be gone and know that I had somebody looking out for the store, you know. Absolutely. And vacations with the kids. Yeah, kids, kids have gone to a lot of places. 
So you've been married for 60 years almost. Do you have January the 8th, yeah. What, honey? Do you have marriage advice? Oh, my, uh, yes, I do, Anna. Absolutely. I, now I should charge, start charging you, but your mom and dad have done a good job. I don't need to. But I do have some strong marriage advice. And the reason I say that, Anna, is because people ask us all the time, what do you attribute? your your longevity to in your marriage and and you know you have an opportunity to think about it and a lot of people Anna in my opinion marry for the wrong reason really I was what kidding would those reasons be? well well they are physically attracted to somebody mm -hmm. or 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 they marry somebody because yeah like they're physically attracted to them or, or family or religion or this or that. Here's my take on it. Cutting right to the chase, these are the three deal breakers. Number one, number one, trust. T-R-U-S-T. If you cannot trust your spouse, the party is not gonna last. That's my opinion. Very strong on trust, okay? Let's talk about the connection. A lot of people are physically attracted to one another. Does not seal. The second thing most important to me is whether or not you have an emotional, write this down, emotional connection. Do you understand that one? Mm -hmm. Where you are willing to lay your ass on the line for that other person no matter what because remember when you marry somebody they always say for better or worse and you know what sometimes it can get worse you know our son gary who you know so well shortly after he was married he ended up with cancer my god that was the real test to me of his wife who stood by him and just took care of him so well and showed you know what if you love somebody you're willing to do anything for them. And so I see that, that when you, a lot of people think they marry for money and they find out that with all that money, there is no happiness. I mean, they can be truly miserable. So again, working together, accumulating together, sharing together, all those things really help solidify a good relationship. I know a lot of people say, well, you shouldn't marry somebody if they're not Jewish, or you shouldn't marry, you know, for this reason or that reason. I'm just cutting to the chase. Take trust out of there, ain't gonna last. Take the emotional connection out of there, not gonna last. And, and so importantly, when it comes to trust, you're talking about all kinds of trust. Do you trust somebody to hand them the checkbook and say, hey, it's our money? in any way you want because i know i trust you to look out for our best interest and how many marriages do you see go down this well maybe you have it Anna, but go down the drain because people use that to control the relationship and i and i do think that in all our marriage i can't ever recall seriously about ever not treating a woman with respect you know treating her without all of the stuff that people do you know which is demeaning or or just you know violence or anything like that i think you just have to be that kind of a person for to have a successful marriage so that's just my i don't think you would disagree but that's kind of where i'm coming <laughs>
Um, how are your days spent now? Your kids are all grown, out of the house. You know, that's a good, now that's a good question because a lot of people ask me that. They said, you know, Frank, now that you're retired, what do you do? Honestly, I have to tell you, and I've been married, been, been retired for, God, what, 50 years. Honestly, I, once I retired, Anna, I, I thought to myself, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And I, and I wondered, how the heck did I ever have time to work? Because ever since I retired, I have so many projects. There's not a day goes by. Now, personally, my love is to be out outdoors in the garden and 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 just being creative you know because as a kid that's the one thing I did get credit for I used to I used to create landscapes in the house using stuff and to this day I'm like that you know but I I I really think that we spend an awful lot of time just going back to childhood making sure everything is perfect if I put this house on the market tomorrow swear to God I would defy anybody to come in here in this house and find anything that needs to be fixed. So I'm on top of projects. And when you own, yeah, my Rachel said I'm good at it. But it's like your parents, you know, once you get a house, there's not a day goes by that something doesn't get broken, needs fixing, needs yeah. changing, you know, needs addressed. It's like, uh, you know, and, and we have a social life. We have our social friends, you know, and unfortunately because of this coronavirus, it has just been, eh. I'm not happy with it because obviously we like to get out and go places. I mean, oh, did you have more questions from me? No, I'm all good. Thank you so much. Thanks to you. This is the best day I've had so far this week. And it's only <laughs>
Thank you so much.